Hello, I'm Donnie Clinton, Director of Student Ministry and Media at West Hills Church, located in the heart of West County in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. I'm also the host of the Going Deeper podcast at West Hills Church, where we take a few minutes to dive into last week's sermon or an interesting topic in the life of the church. West Hills is a gospel-centered church that glorifies God by living in authentic Christian community with one another, growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus, and serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. West Hills meets at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings for worship, and we would love to have you join us. Today, Pastor Will and I are talking about the long ending of Mark, and what its place is within Christian scripture, how it got there, and what scholars think about it. So, thank you for joining us as we go deeper. Okay, we're back in episode five of Going Deeper. Um, And today, as you heard in the intro, we are talking about the long ending of Mark. Um, But because Pastor Will mentioned it in his Easter sermon, I'm going to let him take the helms on clarifying it, what it is, and he's going to be setting up the answer, well, the questions that we're going to be trying to answer uh, today as we go a little bit deeper into the book of Mark. So, Pastor Will. Yeah, so the, the so-called longer ending of Mark is that section that you'll see um, sometimes prefaced by brackets in your Bible that, that say something like some of the earliest manuscripts do not include uh, chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. So most Bibles these days give a disclaimer, which actually, interestingly, um, my mom was in for Easter, and she was mentioning she'd never heard all this about the longer ending of Mark. She showed me, in, in her particular New King James translation of the Bible, it didn't even give any warning. It just listed Mark 16, verses 9 through 20, just like it was Scripture with the rest of it. Um, but but certainly the ESV that we use um, as a church at West Hills, that I use personally, use ESV. Don. Yeah, I still yeah. I use ESV or the NASB. So, yeah, depending on the translation you use, most, I think, translations are going to flag this for you. Um, so our first question uh, with regard to this discussion is, you know, what is the longer ending. Um, The second question we want to get to and spend probably most of our time in is why do we think, uh, why do I think, Donnie told me before we had this conversation, he's still on the fence, why do I think that that it does not belong um, with the original Mark and material um, of chapters 1 through 16, verse 8? And uh, finally, maybe most importantly though, um, why should it not keep us awake at night? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if, if there's serious question and debate amongst Christians about whether or not this material is really biblical or not, at the end of the day, why can we sleep soundly um, regardless of how we answer that question? So the first question, uh, what is the longer ending of Mark? Um, starting in verse 9, we won't read it for you. You can just kind of look in your Bible yeah. if you want to follow along. But I've my my Bible flags kind of three section headers. The first is Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene in verse nine, um, verses nine through eleven actually, uh, and it gives some commentary on uh, who Mary Magdalene was, and that'll come in, in uh, that'll be important here in a minute. Um, as to why that's that's significant. Um, and then second section, Jesus appears to two disciples, so verses 12 and 13. 
Um, and then uh, finally sort of wraps up in verses 14 through 20 with a section my Bible entitles The Great Commission. So um, sounds somewhat similar to, uh, to Jesus' Great Commission in uh, Matthew 28, uh, verses um, 16 through 20 there. So, but there's some, some other uh, somewhat weird, maybe the weirdest part of um, the longer ending that, that people might know the longer ending for, um, verses 17 and 18. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And so uh, obviously we all know the kind of running joke of handling snakes in church. And yeah, I come from that tradition. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So the, so the, well, we, we got a whole other podcast episode coming <laughs> so, on that then. <laughs> yeah, so the, so the Church of Christ in more rural areas is famous for being snake handling churches based on uh, this scripture in Mark and then also the one in Acts. Yeah. So they would say in their services, I will be having a faith, I can handle the snake. But the funnier thing is, I don't, I've never seen it personally, but the funnier thing is all these pastors are losing fingers because... Apparently they don't have enough faith that the snake doesn't bite them, so oh, the snake yeah. bites them. It's kind of crazy, but and, I come from that tradition. And and wow, well yeah, I'll have to hear more stories about that <laughs> we'll later. Have to talk but about yeah, it. It, well it sounds like you have not actually seen it in person, so yeah, we'll we'll, not, we'll not, take a field not trip. Not nearly as cool. We'll take a field trip, but mm-hmm. I I think that um, yeah, so that that brings up a whole whole other issues, of course, about you know any church or denomination that would build an entire significant portion of their theology and worship service around one obscure verse from a debatable section of scripture, whether or not it's actually scripture. But, um, yeah. And, and, but I think another reason why that's important is, you know, there's, there's similar issues that we can get into with in my, we just watched the American gospel, um, together as a life group a few weeks back and my, it prompted a longer discussion between my wife and one of her friends who's, we caught up in the prosperity gospel movement and health, wealth, and, and healing and happiness and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, one of the questions that this person was putting back to my wife was, you know, how do you deal with the fact that the Bible, you know, Jesus clearly says in the Bible, these signs will accompany those who believe. You will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And she was basically, you know, charging Polly with not really following Jesus and not really truly believing in him because Jesus says these signs will accompany. He doesn't say they may accompany. He says they will accompany. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, there's, there are, you know, somewhat some, some theological issues here that we could, that we could um, take, take issue with and, 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 yeah. and, and how to read the Bible is going to be a whole other, how That's do we whole, read the Bible? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is a whole other part of like Christian theology, right? Um, and ministry. But, but I think not today. <laughs> but the reason why for me um, that whole argument was a moot point is because I don't think that this uh, longer ending of Mark is uh, again personally for me, I, I don't think that it belongs to the original uh, Mark and authorship and Mark and material from uh, the. Uh, pen of John Mark, who was um, the Apostle mm-hmm. Peter's um, scribe and assistant, as we've as we've said, as we've gone through Mark. I don't think it's original to him, and um, so let me just quickly sort yeah. of make the case as we shift to our second question here for that. 
the I think the there's two two bits of uh, two ways of breaking down the evidence on this. The external evidence, so that's um, evidence from history and context of of this scripture, and then the second part is the internal evidence. I think both, to me, point uh, pretty conclusively to the fact that this is not originally Mark. And so, the external evidence, the the, the reason that it is in your Bible um, with the flag, and that you know a lot of people over the years have considered it to be original to Mark or whatever, is that um, 95% of the major of the manuscripts that we have on the New Testament um, include this longer ending. So we'll just need to take a, a brief sort of tangent here to explain what a manuscript is. So a manuscript is a copy of a copy of sometimes a copy of um, the original sort of autographs of scripture which we do not have. So um, we don't have any of the original sort of writings um, of like what Peter actually wrote, what Paul actually wrote, what what Matthew actually wrote. We don't have those copies of, of those parchments and papyrus that, that they wrote on. Um, what we have is copies of copies of those, um, sometimes copies of copies of copies. And, um, and this is, uh, again, that could bring up a whole nother podcast issue that we don't have time for and just the the reliability of, of the New Testament considering we don't have the original autographs. But suffice it to say that um, we can, based on the manuscripts, the copies that we have, we can get back really early in a lot of cases um, in, in sort of the history of, of New Testament happenings and events to um, we, we can get back pretty close to what those original autographs were. And we have such a uniformity um, in, in, the, in 99.8% of cases on um, what the manuscripts say that it's really, again, no, no cause for these kinds of podcast episodes. Um, you know, also, you sorry, and just like another thing, we'll mention the manuscripts, but the time that Jesus was in, in the first century, uh, had a tradition of something called oral tradition. Now, when you and I hear about that, you're going to think, well, if I'm told something from someone else, it's really easy to get things jumbled. But that wasn't the case in the first century, and they had a much more deep dedication to the preservation of oral tradition. And if you go back to Luke um, 1, 1 through 4, you're going to see him actually referencing oral tradition and written tradition as ways by which he compiled his gospel. Um, So while the manuscripts are very important, it's also very important that whoever added this long ending, um, if it is in fact a long ending, um, probably also used oral traditions, along with the benefit of manuscripts, which are both very, very reliable in the first century, not as reliable maybe to the 21st century person who can't remember things very well. That's right. And so, uh, and a part of why, and Donnie just referenced it too, um, uh, uh, not only... When I read the longer ending of Mark, not only do I see evidence of you know oral traditions that were passed around around Jesus, but I mean, the, at the end of the day, the I guess the shortest answer to the question number three that that we're ultimately looking to get to here of why should it not keep us up at night is that there's really not a whole lot in in Mark sixteen nine through twenty that's super unique, that's <laughs> super um, 
yeah, that, that that's that's theologically yeah. out of whack or anything like that, uh, you know, other than those verses that I read, mm-hmm. because Mark, or sorry, the the later the later scribal redactor uh, adder yeah. here, um, he he pulls straight, almost straight from other sections of scripture. So let me um, let me speak to that real quick. Verses nine through ten, uh, the uh, the appear Jesus's appearance to Mary Magdalene. You can find that account in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Um, the reference to her being being healed from demonization, that's pulled straight from Luke chapter 8, verse 2. Um, Mark 16, verses 12 and 13, that's a summarization of Luke's account of uh, Jesus' appearance to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So you can go to Luke chapter 24 verses 13 through 35 and read that whole story but mark or sorry again i keep calling him mark but the, the later scribal editor adder to mark um here in, in the longer ending he just pulls that straight from luke 24 and then that last section um verses 15 through 20 um jesus commission ascension and worldwide proclamation uh, to the apostles that's summarizing themes also, again, from Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, as well as Matthew 28 yeah. and the Great Commission. So he's really just kind of summarizing. I think, again, what I, what I said in Church on Easter was uh, true and probably the best summary of it is I think that you know people were just really unsettled by the ending of Mark. People were just really unsettled by Mark ending so abruptly and not, you know, meeting the risen Jesus and not getting the ascension and not getting the great commission and all these really important things that fortunately we got from other gospels anyway. And so maybe, you know, maybe these, maybe it was an oral tradition thing where, because it doesn't appear to be a copy. It does appear to be a a summary. Um, You know, these verses nine through 20 doesn't appear to be a line. It's not a line for line copy of Matthew or Luke or John. So maybe it was oral traditions of again of, of Jesus' appearances that 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 they then that the scribes put together and, and added or or maybe it was just uh, uh, they're literally sitting there with copies of Matthew and Luke and John and they decide to just sort of combine and condense and summarize. But yeah, it it could just be the case that and it's important to note something we've been talking about the whole time. This scribe, whoever is adding, is probably a faithful Christian person. Sure. Yeah. That they are. They just want to clarify some cool things that other gospels had in them. Sure. Um, and so he borrows from Luke and Acts, which are suspected both written by Luke yeah. and the Gospel of Matthew, and he just sort of puts it all together um, to put a nice period on yeah. the end of the sentence that is Mark, who is um, very quick and maybe not as detail oriented as other gospels. Yeah. Um, so this this Christian person isn't affecting your theology at all. Like, there is nothing different that you should... If you didn't have these, there would be nothing different in basically any part of your theology, which is a good reason not to sleep at night. No. Because be- Jesus doesn't change. Mark doesn't change. Like, there's some stuff about snakes, which we'll get into. Yeah. Um, but not, not a lot changes for you and I if we don't have the long ending. So, And that's and important to note. It is. It is. And, and again, the most theologically questionable or, whoa what's going on there verses are 17 and 18. And I should have pointed out even sooner, these are all uh, uh, casting out demons, speaking in new tongues, picking up serpents, drinking deadly poison, um, 
and not being injured, healing hands on uh, on the sick, and they will recover. Those are all five of those things are things that we see happen in the in the book of Acts. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul gets bit by a snake when he accidentally you know picks it up and towards the end of Acts, um, and and he doesn't die. Um, we have uh, the only one that's not strictly biblical in, in the book of Acts is the drinking deadly poison, and there are uh, there are you know, stories from the early, early church sort of, again, yeah, oral tradition of, uh, that, that, that later got penned about, um, the drinking, drinking poison. Like, so uh, yeah, these are all things that we, we know happened historically in the life of the early apostles and, and the early church. And so really shouldn't keep us up at night. Um, I think the most to, to try and just flesh out and, and more fully answer that question of why, why am I saying that I don't believe that this was written by Mark? Even though 95% of uh, our best manuscripts do do include the longer ending, mm-hmm. um, because it, for me, presumably, once it did get added, and we know the earliest reference to that was in the mid-2nd century. Um, so that's why I said a, probably about a century after Mark's gospel was actually penned. About around the mid second century, um, we have. Uh, uh, let's see, I've got to re um, re review my thing here. Irenaeus and Tatian, uh, both in the second century, are the earliest patristic witnesses of the longer endings' existence in biblical material. Um, so it was in circulation by the middle of the second century. However, neither Clement of Alexandria nor Origen, also second century church patristic fathers, they show any knowledge, neither of them show any knowledge of it. So you have sort of in the second century, is it in, is it not in, is it, you know, and, and the biggest reason though, even though 95% do include it, the two earliest, almost complete manuscripts that we have, um, that are considered like, the sort of uh, finds of of ancient, yeah, like definitively good markers yeah. of the books that the church had at the earliest stages of the development of our Bible. Yes, the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus, both from the fourth century. Those are the earliest manuscripts we have. Uh, three hundred years after these things were actually written, three hundred years after Jesus, we we have uh, finally, you know, copies of copies of copies. Um, of of the autographs, but those two earliest manuscripts, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, neither one of them include the longer ending of Mark. Um, and then, as I said, neither Clement of Alexandria nor Origen, early church patristics, show any knowledge of it. But to me, the, even bigger than the external evidence against it is the internal um, evidence. And so, let me just read. This is actually from is one of my favorite commentaries for stuff like this is the exegetical commentary on the New Testament um, series by Zondervan is really good. Um, and this is a commentary by Mark Strauss, um, who, who, who I think makes a compelling case. While the external evidence is divided, the internal evidence is overwhelmingly against the long ending. We must ask why a copyist would have intentionally dropped the ending resulting in such an odd and abrupt conclusion. By contrast, it's easy to explain why a copyist would try and fix the abrupt ending by summarizing resurrection appearances and including Jesus' final commission. So, again, if we're trying to figure out, you know, why why it doesn't appear in some of, in our earliest manuscripts, it's a lot easier 
to summarize what Strauss just said, it's a lot easier to explain it by saying it was a later addition that somebody thought the abrupt ending needed to get fixed than trying to explain why others would have dropped this out um, if, if it was originally Markin. But then you've got more internal and in, intrinsic evidence, um, and this is what Strauss says, most telling against the longer ending is its disjuncture with the rest of Mark's narrative. The vocabulary and style is distinctly non-Markan with 15 words that do not appear elsewhere in the Gospel of Mark and a number of others used with a different sense than in typical Markan usage. The connection with what proceeds is awkward as well. So verse 9 begins with a masculine participle referring to Jesus, but the previous verse, verse 8, had ended with its subject being the women who fled the tomb. So Mary, on top of that, Mary Magdalene is introduced um, in verses 9 through 11 as if she were a new character. Um, and so this scribal you know, editor goes into, you know, the whole th part about her, her, her having been cast out seven demons, even though um, we've heard about Mary uh, just in the verses just before this, why not? Why would why would Mark, if it was Mark himself, why wouldn't he have given us the history of Mary Magdalene in verse one um, when he first brings her up? Mm -hmm. um, the other women who were commissioned by the angel to tell the disciples in chapter 16, verse 7, now disappear from the scene magically, and only Mary Magdalene sees Jesus and reports it to the disciples. Finally, while the angel spoke about appearances in Galilee, the longer ending relates only to appearances in and around Jer Jerusalem. The theology of the section is also different from Mark's speaking in tongues in verse 17. Confirmation of the gospel through signs and wonders, verses 17 through 20, are more characteristic of the book of Acts than they are of Mark. Picking up snakes with their hands and drinking poison without harm are certainly non-Markan ideas. Um, so that's I, I, Strauss makes a compelling point to me. I, I, you know, the majority of evangelical scholars today, and even just secular scholars um, who who have no agenda one way or the other, agree um, that this is this is not Mark writing here. Um, but again. If, if, if we want to shift to the, the third question to wrap up here, why does it not ultimately matter that much? Why should it not keep us uh, awake at night? As we've already said, there's nothing, there's nothing really new here. I mean, it's pulled from the other books. Um, it's, it's summaries of, of, of things that we hear in other gospels. Um, you know, I, I could have chosen to preach about this this Sunday, and nobody should have left the church over that. And the fact that I'm not going to preach on it this Sunday, I hope that nobody will leave the church. You shouldn't, because it's, um, you know, if, if you yeah. take it to be biblical, if you take it to be truly of Mark, as, you know, recounted to him by the Apostle Peter, that is your prerogative based on your study of the research, and that's fine, and I will respectfully disagree with you. But um, I think that. You know the things that we hear hear here, and and they are printed in my black and white, you know, paper cover copy of the Bible here. Um, they're all they're all fine and um, and good, and and maybe even, you know, just yeah, round out our our understanding of Jesus even more, and and that's a sure. that's a fine thing. There have to be, uh, if you do disagree with something, um, this is just as a ministerial tip for people who are listening to the podcast. If you disagree with someone in the church over something, especially like this, it is not grounds to leave a church, right? Like Pastor Will said, it is grounds to articulate and defend a position, though, and um, to be in discourse with other members of the church. 
the reason I'm on the fence about it, I should clarify, mm-hmm. is because later manuscripts do have it in. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize exactly what Will has said, that the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus are not are, are early documents that don't have it within the text. So I'm a, I'm a take-it-or-leave-it kind yeah. of guy. It doesn't affect my theology. Sure. I don't really sleep over it. Same. Um, but if you are one who are going to say, this is absolutely in the Bible, um, I see people mostly in the New King James Version camp or the KJV camp, like saying this is in the Bible absolutely 100%, then there is a weight of burden burden of proof that you sure. have to go on and prove your view. Yeah. You can't hold a view of anything arbitrarily and and not seek that you should defend it. And, so, the, and the bigger point here, again, that we touched on, but I want to conclude with here and, and just hammer home is, um, you know, I, I think it could again, to go to the pastoral sensitivity thing, I want to be sensitive to the fact that, man, if, if this is the first you're hearing about all this, and whoa, 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 we don't have the original autograph. We only have copies of copies of copies. Yeah. And, and especially if you're thinking, we don't even, you know, there's there's disagreement, debate about whether this should actually be in the Bible. Um, 2,000 years later, I, I could see how that would be troubling for someone. I want to um, just like uh, bring us back down to earth here and say, uh, remind you or maybe inform you, there's only debate uh, of this kind with two sections in all of Scripture, okay? So there are two uh, sections, uh, 12 verses here in Mark, and then another 12 verses um, in uh, John chapter 8. So the end of of John chapter 7, verse, I think it's 52 or 53, going through John chapter 8, verse 11, you have the story of Jesus with the woman uh, caught in adultery, and, you know, they the famous story that we all love, and they pick up stones, and they're going to they're gonna stone her, and Jesus says, let you who are without sin cast the first stone. That famous beloved story also falls into this camp of, is it biblical or is it not is it is it in the original autographs or is it not because it's it it it's sort of victim of the same type thing where the earliest manuscripts don't have that story um but the later ones do in that in John's case um you know the language isn't as dissimilar as it is here in Mark and so there's there's maybe less of a case against it again great story um we can all whether whether it it's in the Bible or not, whether it happened or not, whether Jesus, you know, had that encounter or not. We can all envision Jesus. I mean, it sounds like Jesus. Like, yeah, I mean, just you know, go to John I, 4. Yeah. Samaritan woman. Sure. He's, very it, similar. It's a very similar story. But but I the reason I bring it up is not to further undermine your view of another passage of Scripture, but just to say those, that's it. Two passages and all uh, my Bible's got, <clears throat> let's see. 1,873 pages, Um, and of 1,873 pages, I've got one paragraph, 22 verses total from two sections that we're not sure whether or not this should be in our printed copies of the Bible or not. And so, I mean, if you should be overwhelmed by anything, it should be a sense of awe and wonder that God is in his providence and sovereignty, not only inspired 
the the authors that pen these words, but but even would would go so far as to inspire you know the early church in its um, in its preservation of these documents mm-hmm. and in their compilation of these documents, you know, and just how. Uh, similar. There's nothing. I mean, we have four gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and none of them are contradictory on any point. That's amazing. Like, get four people in the same room uh, <laughs> attesting to anything, and 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 if they don't contradict one another at all, um, more power to you. Because you know, only God could have inspired Scripture the way that He did. And you know, the fact that we only have these two short passages that are controversial at all. To me, that's the real story here that, that God has so faithfully preserved his word for yeah. us for thousands of years. And as Pastor Will just pointed out, if this is overwhelming, that maybe 24 to 22 sentences in Greek are a, an issue, it should also be overwhelming that there are 15,000 original manuscripts yeah. of, well, well, manuscripts of some of the original texts. Yeah. Like, it is much more overwhelming the other way, that it is uh, preserved and solidified. And that all of the small... Will said 99.8 of all the manuscripts agree. That other point, like 2%, are all in your footnotes, in your English Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the small differences. Uh, so, should we lose sleep about this at night? Absolutely not. No. Can we trust that the Bible is preserved as closely to its original autographs as we can possibly get? Absolutely we can. Yeah. Which is something, yeah, well, we just brought it back. We can really praise God for that. Yeah. So. And I, we've got some more uh, resources on all this if you want to go even deeper that I'll post on the Facebook group after Donnie posts the podcast just to in the, in the comments, the replies there, just if you want to go even deeper. But, um, yeah, that, that's... If, Praise God, too, that we we are a thinking faith and a historical faith. I mean, that this oh, yeah. is not just, you know, all subjective feelings and, you know, what yeah. I mean. No, we, we subscribe to a faith that is rooted in history and we can actually, like, engage in these kinds of discussions. Um, and it's, it's objective historical fact, as I said last week with the resurrection, you know, that that's the centerpiece of our faith. It's not just some personal experience that whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's... Yeah, that's a, that's a good bow. Um, and thank you for joining us on episode five of Going Deeper. This one was a bit more technical than the last four have been, um, but that's the kind of faith that we have. Hope uh, you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, have a good one. Thank you for joining us on our fifth episode of Going Deeper. In the details and description of this podcast, there is something from the Gospel Coalition called preacher's toolkit should i preach the long ending of mark and that gives you some more context for this conversation also pastor will and i and the staff at west hills want to say thank you for easter we loved serving and worshiping with you and make sure you keep inviting back those friends who are searching and seeking for the lord we would love to have them come be part of our gospel-centered community and that's all for episode five and thank you for joining us as we go deeper.